Hello, I'm Dr. Julia Dana. Welcome to the Dermal Distinction Podcast, a master guide on science, beauty, and ethics in aesthetics. I've had decades of real life experience in aesthetics, dentistry, and training, and I'm passionate about passing on my insider knowledge and teaching you the techniques, the science, and the heart behind the rapidly growing world of cosmetic medicine. The Dermal Distinction Podcast is a safe space to explore the ethical approach to cosmetic injecting and education. It is a front row seat to a lesson in aesthetics, injectables, and skin science. As always, before undertaking any treatment, it is important that you seek advice from a qualified practitioner about your concerns. Join me each week with an open mind and remember, cosmetic injecting isn't just about changing faces, it's about changing lives. Whether you're an aesthetic practitioner or considering aesthetic procedures as a patient, One of the most important things I want you to know is you must have a really thorough consultation with your practitioner. This is the cornerstone of getting great results where you understand the treatment itself, the risks and the possible outcomes. I'm going to be touching on this quite a lot in this episode because it's really the cornerstone of an ethical practitioner and so important, especially in this current environment. As a patient, it is your absolute right to ask for a thorough consultation and to ask questions. And most importantly, take time to make a decision and you should be given that time. As an aesthetic practitioner, I urge you to also offer this to your patient. You must do a really great aesthetic consultation for your patient but give them the time to process, especially when you are treating areas that are higher risk. It's um, so important for our patients to be on the same page as us and for aesthetic practitioners to be on the same page as their patients. It's absolutely a fundamental right that we should be giving our patients to ask lots of questions, to have a really great consult, to have time to consider their options and then to go forward with treatment that they feel confident that you can provide. One of the most exciting things that I do in daily practice is to treat people in a non-surgical way where sometimes the traditional option was surgical. One of these treatments is looking at the chin. When we look at the chin, traditionally a surgical way of bringing that chin forward was to do a quite hefty surgery and lots of orthodontic treatment. And this involved a lot of downtime for the patient and not only the downtime for the patient for the actual surgery, but there's a before, during and after phase for the patient. So before there's the orthodontic workup, the during, that's the actual surgery, and then the after which is often not talked about very much, is that the patient needs more orthodontic treatment to correct the chin position, but often the patient will actually be numb for a good eight weeks. And that can be quite debilitating for the patient, where the other thing that's often not talked about is that the patient actually can't chew on solid foods for around three months. Can you imagine not being able to chew on just regular food. So when we look at doing uh, non-surgical treatments, all of a sudden it opens an exciting world for our patient because 
in a single appointment or perhaps even over two appointments, we can achieve what looks like a surgical correction, but this time without that downtime, also without the cost and what we call morbidity. So morbidity is that downtime, that almost feeling of illness because they're recovering from a, a large procedure. In the first appointment for a chin advancement, what do we need to do for that patient? Is it a matter of bringing that chin forward or is it a matter of bringing the chin down or actually is it a combination of both treatments? And this can have an amazing effect on our patient where their confidence really comes out because from a lateral profile or just looking at that patient side on, all of a sudden we've corrected you know, where the nose sits because we brought the chin out to meet it and it's really life-changing for a patient. I did this just yesterday for a patient where her concern was that lack of uh, jaw fullness. By bringing her chin both forwards and also downwards, so sort of giving her a bit of um, structure in that lower part of her face, what we were able to do is actually correct a bunch of things. We've corrected, number one, her profile. The second thing that we were able to correct non-surgically was her submental fullness. So what some people would consider a double chin, for example. So often it looks like you're carrying a little bit of extra fat underneath your uh, jawline. For some patients, maybe they are. But in other patients, where we bring the chin forward, all the tissues start to drape towards the chin and it just creates the jawline of, you know, what, what textbooks are written about giving us that structure and that, that beautiful profile for our patients. And sometimes we're able to do that just with one syringe, sometimes two. But when we look at the alternative of going down the surgical path versus the non-surgical, it can create a real opportunity for us to create confidence and a beautiful result for our patient, and that's the exciting part of cosmetic medicine for me. I want to share with you my approach when assessing a patient. When I'm assessing a patient, I'm always thinking about their best interests, and sometimes what that means is that I need to look at the patient as a whole. So the first part of the assessment is the patient's age. If the patient is quite young, I want to know, has that patient actually developed? Is their skeletal structure where it's going to be? So I make an ethical decision based on an age really early on in my assessment. Am I going to suggest a non-surgical approach for this patient or would that patient be better off in the long term undertaking a surgical approach? So this is part number one. Part number two, and this is probably one of the most important and most topical issues at the moment, is that patient's psychology. I want to know why. Why do they want the treatment? Is it because they have some sort of psychological, emotional concern? Or is there actually a physical assessment that I'm making where they could benefit from this treatment? So this is a really important one that we cannot miss and we have an ethical obligation to undertake this assessment for our patient. So some of the questions I might ask a patient might be, how long have you been thinking about it? What do you think this is this treatment's going to do for you? Do you avoid looking at yourself in a mirror? A little simple question like that can real, really give you a great insight into where the patient is psychologically in their process of going through this journey of having treatment with you. 
The third part of my assessment is the physical examination. And you would think that this would be number one, but actually it's a little bit down the list. So the physical examination of the patient is obviously extremely important. So I need to consider obviously things like their medical history, uh, you know, like bleeding disorders and that kind of thing. I need to consider medications. Are they medically suitable and fit for the treatment? But then I'm actually looking at their aesthetic makeup. So you know, for instance, if we look at the last example I gave you with the chin, is it that the chin is too far back or actually is the chin in the right position and it's the nose, for example, that's too far forward? So I need to make that physical assessment to determine what is the best treatment option for my patient. The next part of that assessment is talking through this part with now the patient. So I need to take them on this journey with me because sometimes one of the biggest things that holds a patient back in saying yes or no to a treatment is that they haven't been actually educated. What is it that you're trying to do? What are the treatment options? And this part of the journey is really important because I need the patient to be on the same page as me. Money matters. It's so important. Again, in this current climate in the aesthetic industry, we need to get financial consent from our patient. This is one of the areas that you must cover with your patient. You need your patient to be on the same page with you regarding their financial commitment and what they're investing with you. And you need to be really upfront and really honest because it's an ethical way of going forward with your aesthetic treatments. When we're giving financial consent or information to our patient, we need them to understand how much that treatment will actually cost. And is it one appointment or is it multiple appointments? We need to obviously make the patient aware of that there might be some changes in our aesthetic treatment as we go along and will that impact their financial commitment to their journey. We also need to counter that with looking at the different treatment options. Well, what are the financial commitments for the other options as well so that they're making the best treatment decisions for themselves based on financial consent and also now lifestyle. So the lifestyle of the patient is so important as well, and we need to consider that and assess that for our treatment options. So as I've mentioned already, sometimes when we go down the surgical approach, that's going to have some impact on our patient's lifestyle before, during, and after the treatment. When we're undertaking cosmetic injectables, it's no different. We need to consider their lifestyle. Is this something that, you know, for instance, they may have bruising before? during or after. Is this going to have an immediate effect or is it going to take a little while to get them there? One of the most common threads that happens in my practice, and it probably happens in your practice too, is that often patients want to hide the treatment that they have with me. And so we need to consider that as part of our overall care of the patient and being really upfront in what the patient can expect. So for instance, it's really important to divulge things like risk. So what's the expected risk of the procedure? So one of the most common risks is bruising and the patient needs to be on board with that. Now, there's some areas of the face where bruising is going to be more commonplace and some areas where it might be not so commonplace, but one of the fundamental, I guess, common threads of doing cosmetic injectables is bruising is a real risk. Sometimes swelling. I know that from my own personal journey, I've had some cosmetic injectable treatments as well. And when I had some chin enhancement, I almost regretted this decision two days later because I had such immense swelling. 
But I knew from my cosmetic injector that I had to ride the mental wave that came with that. And I guess uh, the reason I'm telling you this story is because you need to let your patient in on those secrets too. They need to ride that mental wave of what to expect now, after, and a bit longer term. Uh, you know, like swelling, how long is that going to last? When is that going to subside? Because we need to understand the patient lives a big true life and we need to fit into that journey. So maybe we won't be, you know, injecting their lips, for example, the day before they're attending a wedding or a conference. We might, you know, bring that forward or we might delay that a little bit later because we want to give our patient a treatment that they on board with and they understand the direction that we're trying to head with them. At the end of the day, it's our ethical obligation to go through these different steps with our patient as part of the assessment, but also as part of gaining consent and our patients being confident in us as well. Another huge trend we're seeing at the moment is all about the nose. So traditionally, when we're treating a nose, we're going to be doing a surgical rhinoplasty. And what that usually entails is quite a lengthy process. I know that on social media, we see the immediate before and after, but what we don't see is that that after photo is normally taken almost a year later because there is consistent swelling that doesn't resolve for about a year. Having said this, one of the benefits of a surgical rhinoplasty is it's kind of a forever. So once you have the treatment, you don't need to have further treatment again. On the other side of the coin, what I see quite frequently in my practice is people requesting a non-surgical rhinoplasty. So non-surgical rhinoplasty can be quite transformative of a patient's face because when I'm assessing a face, there are a few areas that I think create a lot of structure and one of those is the nose. Often I'm presented with patients that are quite self-conscious about a little bump on their nose and that is the presenting reason why they're coming to see me because they would like to straighten that out. When I'm assessing a patient for a liquid rhinoplasty, I need to assess whether adding dermal filler, which is the way that we would approach this non-surgically, will be of benefit to them. If I'm doing a dermal filler liquid rhinoplasty, what I'm doing is adding additional structure to the nose. So we're essentially trying to camouflage out the little bump that the patient presented with. Part of my assessment is determining whether adding dermal filler is going to make their nose look better or is it going to make their nose look more prominent. And I need to be really honest with my patient because, again, ethically it's my responsibility to end up with a great outcome and I want a happy patient. That's what we're all after in our practices, happy patients with great outcomes. Some of the risks that are involved with a liquid rhinoplasty, there's some big ones. This is a high-risk area. The smaller risks are things like bruising. You can have a little bit of swelling, but there's much bigger risks when it comes to the nose. One of the, I guess, ones we really want to try to avoid is what's called a vascular occlusion. So a vascular occlusion is a medical term for a blocked blood vessel. Dermal filler is a gel and unfortunately we don't have x-ray vision and we can't see all the blood vessels that are traversing through the nose. And despite our best efforts, occasionally, very rarely, sometimes that gel can enter into one of those blood vessels and stop the blood vessel from being able to push blood. The reason why this is important is because blood gives vascularity to the face. It gives vitality, it gives health, it gives life. And so as soon as we see that there is a vascular occlusion, which is often displayed with some blanching of the skin, 
we need to dissolve that filler right out straight away to reestablish that uh, blood supply. One of the biggest risks of all, and I almost um, hate talking about it, but it's a very real risk and we need to discuss it with our patient, is blindness. So blindness happens because dermal filler, again, that gel, enters into the bloodstream, but instead of creating a blockage, it travels. So we know that blood vessels carry blood pressure and that blood pressure can push the dermal filler along. And if you are extremely unlucky as a patient and as an injector, because nobody wants this outcome, nobody, what can happen is that gel will travel backwards and travel to behind the eye and that temporary um, blockage can sometimes cause blindness. Now, the risk is estimated in uh, to be about 1 in 100,000 syringes. So it's actually very, very small. And when we sort of think about areas on the face, we consider risk. We're always considering risk, whether it be a high risk or a low risk. And this is part of, again, our discussion with the patient. Are we going to go down the surgical path? Are we going to go down the non-surgical path? Because when we take our patient on that journey, it's important that they understand what they are signing up for, the treatment that they're going to get. We need them to be on the same path and the same mindset that we're at. And when they take a risk, we take a risk. And we need to make sure as part of our ethical obligation to the patient that we're both taking that risk, knowing where we're going and what treatment journey we're about to embark on. A really important thing to remember is that surgery carries risk too. When we're considering surgery for our patient, we need to consider their overall medical history. And you know what? Despite all that, some patients don't want the surgery and they might not want the surgery because of the downtime. They might not want the surgery because of the cost or maybe because of the recovery. Maybe it's going to interrupt their career or lifestyle for for whatever reason. So when we're considering a non-surgical liquid rhinoplasty, one of the benefits of doing this treatment is that sometimes it takes the minutest amount of dermal filler to correct their aesthetic concern. And perhaps this is the pathway that the patient wants to go down. I don't like to call any procedure a lunchtime procedure because I think it takes away from, you know, the ethical responsibility that I have for a patient. But sometimes that treatment is just a one appointment and, you know, they can walk out and go about, you know, a business meeting right after I've done my work for them with an instant result. Not to downplay the risks, but liquid rhinoplasty can be truly transformative for a patient with very little downtime. And that's one of the benefits that we need to present to our patients too. As part of my role as a member of the Non-Surgical Symposium Scientific Committee, I love to see the role that surgeons play and non-surgical practitioners play in the aesthetic space. The great thing about this conference is that we all come together with a slightly different view Some will be looking at it from a surgical point of view. Some will be coming from a non-surgical point of view. Others will be coming looking at skin health. The great thing about this meeting and part of my role is that we're bringing together all these experts and getting the inside tips. One of my favourite parts of the non-surgical symposium is listening to dermatologists, looking at skin conditions and running through different cases and seeing how they might handle the case. And then you'll have a plastic surgeon who has spoken globally on the world stage about particular procedures and being able to listen to them in the same room. 
Last year, one of my favourite parts of the non-surgical symposium was sitting on the panels and being able to have one-on-ones and the audience being able to participate and listen in that discussion and really getting down to the nitty-gritty of, you know, what are the risks? How would you handle this? What do you see as the benefits? What advice would you give? So whether you're an experienced cosmetic injector like myself or whether you're a novice and you're just coming into this field, we all have something to gain from all those levels of experience and all those different mindsets and skill sets. It's a it's a beautiful conference where we can all talk one-on-one. We're all on the same page because we're all there learning and educated in the trends and the treatment options and even to understand you know, um, some of the options that we may not have thought about for our patients. But I think that um, part of my role in the non-surgical symposium is to be able to have some input into the level of aesthetics that we're bringing to the Australian market as a whole. So I'm really excited about this coming year. And as part of the Dermal Distinction podcast, I'm going to bring you the latest insights and give you a really well-rounded view of the cosmetic injecting industry. That is what I seek for myself and that's what I'd hope to share with you in each episode. Part of the Non-Surgical Symposium is bringing all those views together and I'm going to share with you the real nitty-gritty of the trends, the treatments, and, you know, what's happening out there in the aesthetic industry. If you listen to episode one of the Dermal Distinction podcast, I talked about a pivotal moment in my career, which was based around the gummy smile. Gummy smile can be a truly transformative feature on a patient. And there's a couple of different approaches on how we might correct this aesthetic concern for our patients. Traditionally, you would have heard that I've spoken about it already, where we could treat it orthodontically and then surgically and then correct that further with more orthodontics. So it's a really long treatment plan with great results, but this can take the patient on a journey of three years, which sometimes is just too much for a patient. One of the ways of dealing with a gummy smile and it I guess it should come right back to the assessment because this is what got me started on my journey. The assessment of that gummy smile is, I guess, the way we would approach it for a patient. So do they have a gummy smile because of an excess maxilla, so the upper jaw just being way too long? Or is it because perhaps they don't have what's called passive eruption? So passive eruption is where the gum is still sitting over the teeth and it just never disappeared. So the teeth look physically too short because the gum has just not gone up the tooth high enough. So that is assessment number two. Assessment number three is that perhaps the elevators of the upper lip are just far too active or perhaps it's a combination of all of these things. So when I'm treating a gummy smile, I need to work through this process. What is the cause of the gummy smile? I then need to consider the patient. Well, how does that patient want me to deal with this for them? And I need to discuss this with the patient. The next is the actual treatment. And this is the exciting part for me because this is what really sparked joy for me in my career again. In doing such a minor procedure as applying some botulinum toxin to two muscles, one on either side of the nose, a treatment that takes maybe five minutes, I can change that patient's smile. I remember one of the first patients that I ever treated for gummy smile. It still, it almost makes me want to cry thinking about it because she was a school teacher 
and she came in with a gummy smile. She's been through the orthodontic process, so she's done with that. She does not want to do that again. And she was wondering if there was something that I could do for her that was non-surgical. And she told me the story of her whole life. She never smiled fully. Can you imagine going through your whole life never smiling fully? I just, I can't even fathom it. You know, like sometimes we might, you know, pose ourselves in a photo where, you know, we show our best side or whatever. But can you imagine just never smiling fully, never showing that joy? And, you know, by applying some botulinum toxin into two little muscles either side of the nose, it helps to modify the pull of that muscle so that the lip elevators right in the center of the lip just can't raise the lip up as high as they used to. And the great thing about that is that we can also tailor it for our patient. We can give a slightly higher dose for those that really want to drop the lip a lot. Or we can give a more minor dose for those that are a bit nervous, want to dip their toe in the, into the water. But you know what happened to my gummy smile patient is that for the first time ever when I reviewed her, she said, I'm just smiling and I'm just, I, I'm just laughing. I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm just, I'm just being me. And, you know, that was a truly transformative moment for her, but also for me, because I realized that as sometimes as much as we like to think about aesthetics as being superficial, it can have such a huge psychological benefit for our patient. And when I'm in the education space in Dermal Distinction Academy, I like to give this gift to injectors because sometimes they come along a little bit skeptical, not still fully, I guess, convinced that this is the direction they want to go in. But by sharing my stories, I'm hoping that you can start to see where you can impart these gifts to your patients as well. And we'll keep focusing on this as we go through different episodes of the Dermal Distinction podcast. In summary, the key takeaways from this episode about surgical and non-surgical treatments are number one, assessment. You really need to assess your patient. And this is um, a very holistic approach because we need to assess their medical history, their medications. Are they more suited towards surgical? Are they more suited towards non-surgical? We need to consider our patient's lifestyle. So with lifestyle, does the patient want a quick result? Do they understand that one treatment option might be a lifelong result? One treatment option might be a result for here and now. We need to also educate our patients on the risks of treatment. And there are risks in the surgical treatment options and the non-surgical treatment options. We need to take our patient on that journey so that they choose the right treatment for themselves, financial consent. We need to make sure that when we're offering any treatment, our patient understands, well, what's their commitment to the process, both financially but also in coming to appointments and the risks, the benefits, the outcomes, what can they expect from our treatments with them? We also need to consider the patient's lifestyle and the patient's age. Is the patient young and they're still growing in their skeletal structure or is the patient an adult and they've been through the surgical part already and maybe they're looking for something else? These are the key takeaways from this episode. And I'm hoping that you've gained some insight into both the surgical and the non-surgical treatment options. And it's important that we cover these aspects to maintain our ethical commitment to aesthetics for our patients. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Dermal Distinction. The conversation continues over on my Instagram at Dermal Distinction Academy, where I encourage you to connect with me. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe 
rate and review. 